A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, everyone. And welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Kate Maxwell about her debut literary novel, Hush. Kate read English at Oxford and has worked as a journalist and editor in London and New York. In this episode, we discuss exploring maternal taboos, being an early morning writer, and why Kate turned down offers of representation from agents before she found the right match. But first... Here's Kate with an excerpt from Hush. He looks nothing like me. That's what surprises me most. I expected to find something familiar in his features. My wonky earlobes, perhaps, or barely there top lip. Something that says half of you is me. But when the midwife passes him to me and we stare at each other, his eyes inky, it seems, with reproach, I don't recognise him at all. They take us to a ward sliced into six cubicles and leave us. I peer at the tiny stranger through the walls of his plastic cot, exhausted but incapable of sleep. 3am. Beyond the hospital's frosted windows, the wheels of London continue to turn. My mother comes first. She stumbles into the ward, arms outstretched, tears on pale cheeks. Does he have a name, she asks as he snuffles and stretches, opens his dark eyes, then howls. I shake my head and she picks him up and sways from one foot to the other, as I did the day before, when he was still inside me. I unwrap a soft, striped jumper she's knitted for him and a sweatshirt from my middle sister, Rebecca, that has Mama printed on it in big letters. My mother takes photos with my phone and when she leaves, I post one online. There I am in a faded T-shirt, maternity leggings and a smile I don't mean. And there he is, swaddled in a muslin, his face crumpled with crying. I wonder what to caption the photo. A jaunty, here he is, with a summary of his vital statistics. So in love and a trail of heart symbols as a member of my antenatal group had done a week previously. I settle on one word, even though it feels like a claim I can't substantiate, even though it seems hopelessly optimistic. Us. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm really looking forward to talking about your brand new debut novel, Hush, with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Chloe. I've been really enjoying listening to your episodes and thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this brilliant podcast. So can you start by telling us what Hush is about? Yes. So Hush is a novel about a woman who decides to leave her high octane life in New York and move back to London to have a child on her own using a sperm donor. But she's completely unprepared for the impact that it has on her life and her identity. And she begins to wonder whether she's made a terrible mistake and what she might be it might do to escape. Um, and the novel is set between London and New York in alternating chapters. Um, it explores things like identity, belonging, uh, friendship and fulfillment. Um, and ultimately, I think really it's a love story or, or love stories. It really does explore some some big topics and ones that I think aren't often spoken about or written about because they're potentially quite controversial or taboo. And I think a lot of issues surrounding 
motherhood and identity and kind of what having a child does to a woman's identity is a topic that people maybe are nervous about speaking about. So mm. when you started to come up with this idea for Hush, did it start by you wanting to explore these topics or did the idea come from elsewhere? It didn't really come from that, actually. I think it really it started or I started with the character of Stevie, the protagonist, and then those themes followed. And she came from conversations I had uh, when I lived in New York in my early 30s um, with with other women, other friends. We were generally single or dating, didn't find New York's dating scene um, enormously fulfilling shall we say um but a lot of us were, were were thinking about having children at some point so we talk about you know being single how we might go about it and we talked about um egg freezing about sperm donation about um adoption about about being child free um and you know in the end i came back to london and i i met someone um who I've since had children with fairly rapidly. So uh, this isn't my story, but I did continue to think about, I guess, what might have been and and about a, a woman who ended up having um, a child using a sperm donor and and what her sort of trajectory would have been. And I suppose, yeah, that, that those issues of, of identity and, um, you know, she doesn't bond with her child at the beginning. Those, those things came, came out of that thought process. And I guess the challenge is when those topics aren't really spoken about and did you feel almost nervous about approaching them or did was or was that part of the draw really, I guess, because they were so taboo or unspoken about that you felt you wanted to air those topics to give to give to kind of start conversations, really? Yeah, I think there was a bit of that. I mean, I'd, I'd be really interested to, to hear how, how you're novel evolved and, and mine definitely did evolve so so from this character and I think had Stevie sort of taken to motherhood like a duck to water it probably wouldn't have been a very interesting novel <laughs> um but you know I, I definitely felt when I had children that there was a huge shift in identity and I sort of didn't recognize myself actually I went from you know a woman who really enjoyed her career and and for whom that was very important to being at home with a tiny baby um who, who cried a lot and uh needed her nappy changed and, and all that sort of stuff and it's just you know I I I, I didn't have postnatal depression I definitely had a couple of dark days but um yeah, I, I, I did feel completely unprepared for that huge kind of discombobulating sort of shift from one mm. life to another. So that was definitely something I, I wanted to reflect in the book. And yes, as time went on, I did want to raise awareness of things like the idea um, that all women fall in love with their babies at first sight. Again, that did happen to me, but I know that it doesn't happen to, to a lot of women, according to one survey I read recently, something like 30% of women don't feel that sort of instant attachment to mm. their children when they arrive. And yeah, just the sort of general taboo of, um, of maternal ambivalence, really, which I think has been explored a bit more recently. You know, The Lost Daughter, um, which was, uh, I thought, a fantastic film with Olivia Coleman. Mm. I'd, I'd watch Olivia Coleman boiling, <laughs> frankly, but um, which, which, you know, she is a woman who who prioritizes her career at points over her children and um you know i think people were very shocked by that film i think parts of that film are pretty shocking but it's sort of refreshing that these topics are 
you know, being being discussed and 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 explored. So you said about how the story kind of developed. So at what point then did you start writing? You started with CV. Were you just kind of like playing around with this character idea? How did you, or were you kind of in the mindset of I'm going to write a novel? How did that work? Yeah, so I've I wanted to write a novel, you know, for as long as I can remember, really. Um, you know, my background's in journalism, but I hadn't, I just hadn't had the guts or the confidence to to do anything. Really, I think I was one of those boring people who, you know, banged on and on about my sort of novel writing dreams without actually doing anything about it. And uh, then my husband, who was obviously sick to the back teeth of hearing about this novel that never appeared gave me a kind of IOU for a creative writing course one Christmas. And uh, and also I think being a journalist, I just thought, oh, come on, I should be able to do this without a course. And I did have a few writer friends who definitely hadn't done courses. So I sort of put it to one side and said, thank you very much. And then I think when I, tur- I suddenly turned 40 and I just thought, you know, this is a dream and I need to do something about it. So I got onto the Faber Academy um, creative writing course and and then it kind of started from there but I, I hadn't written anything at all I mean I literally hadn't written anything at all I wrote the thousand words that you needed to to write to get on the course and then I was accepted and then that course just gave me you know the structure I needed really and the impetus I needed and we had to set our goals at the beginning of every week and say I'm going to write you know some people would say I'm going to write 13,000 words this week I'd be like <laughs> really wow you know I just might manage 500 or a thousand mm. you know everyone goes at their own pace um and then yes I, I think I knew how the story was going to begin which was which was the thousand words I'd written for the Faber application and I knew how it was going to end and I had I knew a few bits in the in in between I knew that I wanted half of it to be set in New York uh you know I lived there for six years and I was just you know I just loved the city so much and I just thought it was you know, obviously millions of novels have been written about New York, but I wanted to add mine to the pile. Um, you know, it's just so fruitful. You know, it's just such, you know, an amazing city to to write about. So then, yes, I think it, it, it did evolve. And, and once I had this character that, you know, didn't bond with her baby, found the adjustment to, to being a mother extremely difficult, was very isolated um, in, a, in, a, in a tiny flat in London by herself. Um, yes, I guess things develop. And I remember a friend, a friend uh, called James Scudamore, who's he's a pretty successful novelist, telling me years and years and years ago how, you know, he he'd be sort of tapping away at his computer and he'd be like, oh, oh my God, no, no, and this is a highly pretentious idea of this kind of Aeolian harp that you're not really in control and your your characters are just kind of talking to you and you're just <laughs> typing the words out. You know, I can't say that, that happened to me all the time, but it definitely happened to me on occasion where my characters, whether it was Stevie or her big sister Jess or her best friend Nathan, would 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 just kind of come up with things and which really surprised me. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I've always thought the same as you. I always just thought that was just writers being pretentious when they, when they said that. But I have found it as well, and I think a lot of writers find it that when you kind of get into a bit of a zone and words come out of you that you weren't expecting, then like you say, your characters go off in directions that you hadn't planned for. And that's why I think it's interesting when we talk about uh, writers who are planners or or not planners, and maybe we'll speak a bit about that later, but people, even people who plan like me find that you can't stick to it 
word for word because your characters say things, do things, or um, think things that you weren't expecting. Mm, absolutely. And that really, I think, is a big part of the joy of writing. Because mm. if you could predict it all, it would just be kind of, you know, filling in, wouldn't it? Be yeah. Kind of painting, painting by numbers. <laughs> and um, yes, when they say, oh, actually, this happened to me and you know, this is part of my backstory. Or, or they say something funny when you're writing dialogue that you, mm. you, know, you weren't quite expecting. That's really what makes it so fun. Yeah, I wanted to go back and speak a bit about Stevie, your main character, actually, because what I really liked about her was that she is both very flawed. She's got a lot of kind of problems, obviously, with her attachment to her child and the way she feels about him. But she's incredibly empathetic. How was it for you to kind of balance being truthful, but also giving us a character that was relatable likeable she's not someone that you would read and think you you know what an awful mother she is because you know that she's she's trying and it's what she's always wanted just hasn't gone this kind of perfect in this perfect direction that she was expecting so how was Mm. it for you to kind of balance her characterization yeah I mean I think it 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 definitely requires quite a lot of work and, and editing and redrafting I mean, I I really enjoy those sorts of characters that are, you know, perhaps a bit spiky and and definitely have objectionable elements to them. (laughs) Um, And I think she developed quite a lot once my editor, um, once I was working with my editor, Sarah Savitt, who was absolutely wonderful. Um, And I think she really encouraged me to push Stevie and to see how far she would go, really, to potentially escape her situation with her baby Ash I think probably I pushed it quite far and then came back a bit Mm. because I didn't want to write a thriller and I didn't want to write a crime novel that wasn't really what I was going for I did want it to be relatable so so yes as you say I think it's getting that balance was really important and Mm. Yeah, I hope I hope people feel that I've achieved it. You know, she does do some I don't want to give too much away, but she does do some pretty despicable things. But she is human and she's struggling and she, you know, she's desperate to bond with her baby and she's desperate to for it to be what for motherhood to be what she expected and for it to fill this missing hole in her life. And she, and she's, you know, she's she's really trying to make it work. You spoke about how you kind of had in your head this idea of how it would begin and how it would end the novel. And I was wondering whether that kind of opening scene, which begins in the hospital, Stevie's just had her baby and she's surrounded by parents who are making comments about her, kind of pitying her for being alone. And the nurse suddenly removes her identity by calling her mum and removing her, her name. And that's obviously such a, such a big part of our identity and it really encapsulated the themes that you were exploring in this novel so I wondered whether this had always been the first scene of your novel or had that changed yes the first scene the first chapter is pretty similar to uh the way it was right at the beginning little bits of it have changed but yes I did want to yeah open with as you say this stripping away of identity Mm. this of literal stripping away of identity because that was going to be you know, one of the major themes of the book. And I definitely experienced that myself. I vividly remember being in hospital for the first time with my daughter and and then calling me mum and, uh, and then calling her baby. 
uh, not the baby, but baby. And it was quite shocking. And it's definitely something that continues. It continues mm. in play groups. It continues at school. My kids are now at primary school and you know, I'm sure none of the teachers know my name. They know <laughs> that I'm Lyra's mum and Barney's mum. So um, it is, yeah, I, I thought it was quite an appropriate way to, mm. to begin a novel that was going to deal with identity. And I wanted to touch on as well the New York chapters, because as you mentioned, we alternate between present day London and her her past in New York, where her career was really blossoming and she was having an amazing time in this great city. And it really did feel to me like those chapters were like a love letter to New York. And I wonder whether you could speak about how you use those as a contrast to the chapters about motherhood. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think I was aware that the book really needed that contrast because when Stevie's at home in London, you know, she it, it's quite repetitive. Um, it's just her and Ash in this little flat. She's doing all the things that you do with a tiny baby, um, you know, feeding him, changing his nappy, bathing him, occasionally going out for a walk if she can kind of get, gather herself, herself together and, and get out of the door. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted the contrast of, of this sort of throbbing city, um, you know, noisy and um, colourful and exciting, but also a city with very different priorities, um, you know, work. And, and, you know, in New York, it is a working city. You uh, live to work, I think. Uh, that was my experience anyway. Um, so I, I thought it was quite a useful contrast. And, and also I just really wanted to, to write about it and, um, you know, to go back to the city in my head, um, you know, it was a real joy. I wanted to go back to, I guess, the writing process and your journey, really, and ask you about what kind of writer you are. Are you much of a planner or are you someone that just sees what happens when you write on the page? We've talked about letting our characters kind of rule the roost. Yeah. So are you, are you someone that, particularly when it comes to Hush, were you someone that planned or did you just kind of let it flow? <laughs> Well, this is my debut novel, obviously, so who knows what I'll be like in future. But <laughs> I am definitely, so far, I think I'm a bit of a pantser, as they say mm -hmm. in the trades. Dreadful word, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> yeah, I do slightly fly by the seat of my pants. But then again, I mean, I suppose I sort of established quite early on some rules for Hush, which were essentially a structure in that I mm. knew right at the beginning that I wanted to do alternating chapters, London, New York, London, New York, which was quite difficult to edit ultimately because obviously if I took away a chapter from one city I had to add another one from the other mm. or if I moved things around that became quite complicated um, and then the spreadsheets came out you know then the <laughs> came out but that was quite kind of late in the game I think mm. once I had essentially a sort of first draft it's also about a child that a child a woman that has a baby and I wanted to show her pregnant I don't have her pregnant for all that much of the book, but it, it, you know, there are nine and a half months to a pregnancy. You know, she had to become pregnant. So there were automatically bits that I knew I would mm. have in there. So I guess that was kind of planning or it kind of planned itself from that perspective. Um, but, 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 but really I do think, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm less of a planner in that, Right, here's a, here's a London chapter. I know where Stevie is at the moment. I know roughly what her thought process is. There's quite a lot of backstory. So that kind of, you know, goes back and forth with, with, with those sorts of bits. But yes, it, it, did, it did kind of evolve fairly organically within mm. those limits. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And what was your writing routine like? I'm guessing that kind of fitted in around your, your spare time, I suppose. What did you, are you the kind of writer that can set, set aside? A couple of hours are you are you able to write on the train or in scraps of your day how, how do you go about writing in a kind of day-to-day basis well my, my job's changed quite a lot since I started the book about four and a half years ago um, at the time I was working three days a week uh, which was actually perfect for me um, because I was in this off in an office three days then I looked after my son for one day and I wrote on the other day so that was when I did most of it, but that changed and it become a, became a bit less structured. And I did probably during that time as well, because I was just so into it and I wanted to finish it. I did a lot of early mornings. So for me, the best time of day to write is at six o'clock and I get up and the house is quiet. My kids wake up about sort of seven fifteen. I make myself a big pot of coffee and, you know, that first coffee of the day um and just opening your laptop I just love it actually (laughs) and I think you know whether it's dreams or whatever my brain's not quite 100% switched on and I think that's a good thing because I think it allows the ideas to flow a bit more freely so I love doing a kind of good hour before everyone else gets up and then in the evenings I can probably do a bit of editing but probably less actual writing um and then yes trains cafes you know I am definitely not someone who I I just don't think you you need to have you know the chair and the desk (laughs) and be in exactly the right position you need to be able to write as you know whenever you can and and wherever you can really yeah so that's that's the way I've done it and yeah I'm getting back now in my second book to to those early mornings and really enjoying it I, I can't relate. I, I uh, absolutely hate <laughs> Are you a late so. night person, are you? I definitely, definitely couldn't write at 6am. Nothing, nothing good would come out of that. <laughs> <laughs> so when do you do it? Um, well, I am a morning writer, but um, I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't start until, till 10, probably. Right. I, I just, I, I'm just not a morning person. Definitely not me <laughs> at all. I, I, I probably... I probably could write the evenings. I think it's just very much like I see the evenings as very much downtime. So yeah. my brain's not not in writing mode. But yeah, couldn't couldn't work at six a.m. No way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it allows you to feel very smug and as if you've achieved something for the rest of the yeah, day. Yeah, that probably, is true. That is true. Probably yeah, probably part it's of the attraction. Nice, that's a nice feeling, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So you were shortlisted for the Bridport prizes first novel award which is obviously an incredible achievement so I wondered what led you to entering that competition and how did it change things for you in terms of your career what opportunities did it give you yeah I think that's a really big part of my writing journey actually the Bidport prize so I entered the prize when I'd been writing my book for about five or six months and I definitely hadn't finished it I think I'd probably written about a third or half of it by then maybe a bit more. Um, And I entered it and other prizes because I was just desperate for some kind of feedback. And the Faber course had ended by then. And on the Faber course, you have two opportunities to to present 5,000 
words to your uh, colleagues and your tutor and they're given you know invaluable feedback but I just kind of wanted more feedback and I wanted uh just desperately needy really Chloe um <laughs> but I just wanted to know whether I had anything whether it was worth carrying on with um you know it was absolutely the first thing I'd written so I just had you know I had no idea really I had had good feedback on, on the Faber course but yeah um so I, I entered that and I was obviously you know amazed and completely delighted to be long listed and then what happens is you submit more words um and then more words and and you know ultimately I was shortlisted which was great and it meant that I was able to when I submitted to agents several months later if not a year later actually it, it meant that I could say you know I've been shortlisted for the Bidport prize and and agents as you know you know some of them get I don't know 500 submissions a week so mm. I think I actually put it in the subject line of my email um hoping that they might open it and I think it probably really helped because it's a, mm. it's an endorsement of sorts and you know some really good agents were um you know judges and and uh publishers and stuff so so it really, really helped. But most of all, I think it just helped my confidence because mm. it made me think, right, well, you know, it, it, if, if they think there's something here, then it, then I should carry on. Um, and also there are other aspects to it. We met at um, on that writer's day, mm -hmm. uh, whenever it was, many years ago. Feels a long um, time ago now. Yeah, I think it was pre-pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah, 20, I think it was 2019. Yeah, that was with right. um, the literary consultancy, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. Mm. So that was part of the the prize was was having that day with other writers, which again mm. was really valuable. Um, so yes, it was a thoroughly good thing, and they introduced me to uh, an editor who who looked at my novel and and gave me some suggestions as well. So yeah, I would thoroughly thoroughly recommend any writers um, submitting their work, whether it's flash fiction or short stories or poetry or novels to to prizes and there are many of them and there, there seem to be more every year so definitely mm. definitely worth a go yeah I think like you say it's the validation it's it's knowing that someone has faith in your your work it's very hard to look at your work objectively and I mean you can you can have some idea whether you think writing strong or your story idea is strong but it's nice to hear it from someone else and gives you that big confidence base and it sounds like that's what it did for you yeah definitely and I mean I think you know every writer is different in in terms of what who they want to show their work to mm. and you know I love showing it to my Faber friends and I, I showed it to my mum <laughs> who's a teacher and uh you know her her feedback was invariably glowing surprise surprise she's my mum uh she did <laughs> say some very critical things about the grammar which I was happy to take on but I, I didn't really for some reason I just couldn't show it to my friends my I, I just couldn't I just found it too exposing um but it felt easier submitting it to a prize when I didn't know anyone and they, they weren't going to sort of judge what well, they were going to judge me but they weren't going to you know, I didn't mm. know them so it didn't really matter so you know I, I know lots of people you know have, have writing groups where they share their work all the time um but yes I think you need to find out what works for you um in terms of, of getting feedback and validation um mm. but I think most people probably do need some of it <laughs> I wanted to speak about you querying agents because mm. I read um in another interview that you did that you got a couple of some nice feedback from certain agents and had a couple of offers of rep representation and then you did something which I think most people would be very surprised or I think was very brave but you decided that instead of accepting the representation you would use 
the feedback you'd had from other agents to improve the novel uh, instead of saying yes to representation so yeah how was how was that then that must have been a huge decision to make it was a really big decision and I met this agent a couple of times and I really liked her but by that stage I had had a lot of feedback from some pretty big agents um who had more experience I suppose but it Really, I think what I wanted, I knew I wanted a really editorial agent. You know, this was the very first piece of creative writing I'd done. I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted someone who was really going to get their hands dirty, I suppose, and say, you know, this is what's wrong with it. Try this, try this, try this. I knew it wasn't ready to meet publishers, but I had got as far as I could with it. And I Mm. really needed someone else's advice. And I think that the agent who offered me representation that first round um I th- in a way I think maybe she just wasn't critical enough of it <laughs> I-, I wanted that criticism and having had people say and one agent said it feels as if a lot of the story is off the page <laughs> mm. and I really took that to heart and I think she was absolutely right so it just made me want to go off and spend a couple of months or a few I can't remember how long it was but putting the story on the page fleshing out some of those characters that were really obliquely drawn something that I continued to do right up until the last draft with my editor many many drafts later because I really did see that think that you know that the the draft that I had sent out to to agents it was a bit like a tree without any branches really and and leaves and I wanted someone to help me put those branches and leaves Mm. on it so then I yeah I made quite a lot of changes and I sent it out again and I got several offers of representation that time and then that was a very difficult decision to decide who to go with but um, I went with um, Anna Power who I just felt totally got what I wanted to do with it had great suggestions but they weren't fundamental I mean they definitely improved the novel and, and we we went on and did two rounds of edits together before she submitted it to publishers and I'm just so you know I'm just so thankful for her because yeah I mean you know what it's like working with an agent they um you know she she's you know she's my collaborator and mm. and I totally trust her judgment and you know she's also on the end of the phone when I have wobbles quite often (laughs) and um you know she just gives great advice and she's very kind of calm and thoughtful and um yes I can't I can't praise her enough really so and what was the what was the submission process like about getting your book deal how did that go I mean you know so (laughs) nail-biting Yeah, I don't know how many how many publishers Anna sent it to, but you know, you, you wait and wait, and you hear that it's gone to um, to what's it called the acquisitions meeting mm-hmm. when they all because it's not just one publisher that says yes, thank you very much, we'll have that. It has to go to the whole team, um, other editors, marketers, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Um, and you know, Virago was my absolute dream publisher. My parents used to have their books with their little apples on the spines when I was growing up um so I was just completely over the moon when um I heard that they wanted it and that the editor was Sarah Savitt who's the publisher of Virago and she'd been at Faber before and she's got a great reputation and again you know when I was talking to her I just knew that she she understood what I what I wanted to do in terms of you know what had then become the sort of taboos and Stevie's mm. struggles to bond and her sort of shifts in identity and there's also a kind of a family secret at the heart of the story and you know it talks a bit about 
the impact that our upbringings have on the people we become. And she, you know, she just totally got all that and had, again, had lots of ideas for how to improve it. And working with her has just been a, a total dream. She'd also had a child a year before. So she was in, so in the thick of it, which I think really helps. And, and she was, you know, having had children more recently than I had, she was able to say, hang on a second, shouldn't you see a GP about here? Yeah. Or, you know, maybe someone, maybe mm-hmm. she'd have a night nanny to help out if she's, if her sister can help with the cash and she's on her own. And so that kind of thing went in as well. That sounds incredibly useful to have someone that's just been through it to help edit it. Yeah. So I was wondering whether you can give us a couple of comparison novels to Hush. So perhaps novels that you comped with or books that you feel kind of share the same space or the same th- same themes as Hush. Yeah. So um, I actually, when I was writing Hush, I really steered clear of motherhood books because I'm pretty impressionable. <laughs> I just uh, thought I'd just end up, you know, writing what they've written. So I, I, I've, I've actually got into some of those much more recently. And I love Clover Stroud's My Wild and Sleepless Nights, which really talks about the kind of pull and push of, of motherhood and quite a lot of the themes that I have. I mean, that's a memoir, but that, that I've tried to explore in my book. Mm. Um, other comps, again, more recently, uh, Motherhood by Sheila Hetty, which is a really beautiful a book as a sort of meditation on whether to have children or not and really talks about writing as as creative an endeavor as having children and you know I, I wanted to talk about career and work as as, as another sort of incredibly fulfilling creative endeavor mm. um, so I, I love that um, in terms of, of fiction that I hope, I mean, I'd love to think people has um, in common with my book, Expectation by Anna Hope. Um, I love that book. It's a great it's book. It's so great, <laughs> isn't it? I just loved it. It's such a page turner. It follows, I think it's three friends mm. um, from their sort of university days, sort of you know, through their 20s and 30s. And um, yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to meet Anna Hope recently at a, at a reading. And uh, yeah, she's wonderful. Um, and then other books I liked, Such a Fun Age, um, you know, which, which is funny and, 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 and covers um, Fleischman is in Trouble. That is set in New York as mine is partly. Um, and yeah, so it talks about parenthood in quite an interesting way. Yeah. So, yeah, those are those are some of the some of the books. My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Have you read that? so good mm-hmm. yeah um yeah I mean it's much darker than my book I think but um but you know spiky character uh mental health that kind of thing um yes I hope people that have enjoyed that might like my book so are you able to give us your top three tips for anyone who is um embarking on their first novel or perhaps has started writing a novel what would be your best bits of advice Okay, so I think the hardest thing of all is really just to kind of get started, probably. Um, But, you know, I I danced around the idea of writing a book for so many years. And, and, you know, in some ways I did it when I was ready to do it. And when, when, you know, from a career perspective and from a life experience perspective as well, I think one of the reasons I didn't start early was I didn't really think I had that much to say. And try not to think too much about what people are going to think or whether it's right or just get some words down and I think that if you're like me you'll find that once you've got a bit of a momentum you kind of keep going 
and I guess that's sort of my second piece of advice is to keep going. <laughs> uh, one friend who's a writer um, said something like, I don't know, I won't get her words right exactly, but she said that it's not necessarily the best books that are published, but it is the books that are finished that get published. Um, mm. And I'm sure you know lots of people, Chloe, and I certainly do, who are fantastic writers. And I just wish they'd finish their books because I know they'll be brilliant. But whatever reason, usually some psychological thing is stopping them. You've just got to get to the end. And this friend also said you don't really know what you've got until you get to the end. And I think she's right about that. Because mm. as I'm sure we've both found, I certainly have, as I, you know, I think my book must have gone through at least 10, 10 drafts probably. Um, you know, it, it just changes so much. You know, when you get to the end of your first draft, that's really just the beginning. So, so, so get started and, and just keep going. I think another thing, which is probably a bit harder in a way, is just to really make sure you love your idea. Uh, I don't quite know how you do that, but I suppose once you've sort of sat with it for a few months and you really have written several thousand words about it, you know, I was actually really worried even when I was doing the Faber course that this was either a kind of short story or, or a novella, <laughs> but it ended up being this whopping great thing that, you know, went up to something like 110,000 words and then fortunately came back down again a bit. But um, I was always really into the idea, so much so that I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about it. I went to sleep thinking about it. I woke up in the morning thinking about it. And I think if you do that, you know, you've probably got something because you're going to have to stick with this for, I mean, some people, it just makes me sick, all these people that wrote, you know, dashed off a novel in, in lockdown between their full-time job and everything else. <laughs> and, uh, and it's out now and it's doing brilliantly. I mean, that's definitely not me. It took me a lot longer than that. But, um, you know, lots of people do take years and years and years and years to write their books and you, it's got to hold your interest. So I think if you find you're getting bored, it might not be the right idea. Um, so yes, find something, a subject, some characters that you know, you know, really set you alight. And maybe if they set you alight, they'll set your readers alight as well. So finally, can you share with us what you're working on next? Oh, the, the, this is the tricky, really tricky question, isn't it? I mean, it's definitely <laughs> quite, quite nascent. I just, uh, you know, I, I had expected to be much further along with my second book. Uh, than I am but you know life has intervened but um, I mean one theme of the book it has got quite a lot in common with Hush in a way uh, it's not about motherhood specifically um, but one theme of, of Hush is um, the how our in, upbringings influence the mothers we become um, and this book is really about the impact that childhood events can have on um, the people we become um, so it follows two women who have yeah life-changing events as teenagers um, and then we're, we meet them later on and it's set on holiday um, and, uh, and and that's it really it doesn't have a title though I'm constantly coming up with titles that, that, that I just like the sound of they have absolutely no relevance to the book <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah who knows what it'll be called but um, yes, I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, having been deep in Hush for such a long time, it's incredibly refreshing to have a new project and, and you know, to get to know the characters and to have something else occupying my head space. So, yeah, watch this space, I suppose. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to read whatever your untitled project will end up being. But thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Kate. Thank you so much for having me, Chloe. It's been really, really lovely to talk to you. 
That was Kate Maxwell talking about her debut literary novel, Hush, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.